Employment numbers fell well short of the mark in the US on Friday and equities rose because everyone assumes this means there won't be an easing of support from the US government or from the Fed. We'll also look at the RBA monetary policy from Friday and tomorrow's budget if we see the budget deficit fall markedly. Can the RBA really keep buying bonds at the same rate faster than the government is issuing them? And Hadrian's Wall, is that going to be rebuilt? It's Monday, the 10th of May 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a big fall in the US dollar on Friday with those non-farm payrolls. It was down 0.7% and not recovering. The focus instead has been on the euro, up 0.8%. The Aussie up the same amount and the pound is up 0.7%. Treasury yields fell to below 1.47% for 10 years, but then picked up again whilst in Europe uh, and uh, the the bond yields are generally up uh, around a few basis points, at least in the UK yields fell a little. So a bit of a uh, confusing bond story. We'll talk about that today. Nothing has uh, softened US equities, though. The Nasdaq bouncing back 0.9% on Friday. The S&P and the Dow around 0.7% up, both closing on new highs. Big rises in Europe, too. The DAX was up 1.3%. Copper up another 3% or so, uh, more than 17% over the last month. And again, something reaching a new high, record high on Friday. The price of copper and oil up a little on Friday as well. Uh, But Americans are concerned about pump prices right now because the Colonial Pipeline, which carries millions of barrels of gasoline and diesel and jet fuel from the Gulf Coast to uh, New York and that sort of region, has been shut down because of a ransomware attack. It's been closed for a couple of days. They've still not got, uh, got it open. Tapper Strickland is Director of Economics and Markets at NAB in Sydney. So this cyber attack, I mean, you'd assume it's going to be over in a couple of days, but um, it just shows, isn't it? I mean, this could be another driver of inflation. They're saying that this could push pump, pump prices in the United States up to $3 a gallon, which is, uh, you know, actually to an Australian or European doesn't sound very much, does it? But to, but to an American, that's quite a hike. Uh, definitely. It's one of those left-field factors that... Uh does potentially add to input costs uh, across the U.S. manufacturing pipeline. And the other one um, earlier in the year was obviously all the severe winter weather that really uh, froze up a lot of the pipelines in the uh, southern bits of the U.S. And what's particularly concerning at the moment is that there hasn't been an update uh, in more than 24 hours from the uh, colonial pipeline itself. Um, so that is potentially a, a source of concern for today yeah. as markets open. And it, we just add it to the list, don't we, of things that are, you know, inflationary. So that, uh, you know, including, I mentioned the you know, fact that copper continues to go up in price as well. A lot of lot of commodities are going that way. That uh, 10-year break-even inflation rate now above 2.5%, so another sign that inflation is coming. In fact, it's been steadily since the end of March. I mean, it's just a straight line up, isn't it, for, for, the, for that inflation rate? Yes, that's right. Uh, I think it's up 10 10- basis points over the past week uh, and that is the highest of what's been since 2013 so markets yeah. are definitely uh, fearing uh, or at least wanting compensation uh, for the risk of inflation picking up and high input costs uh, in the manufacturing sector is one area of that and uh, we'll talk about payrolls in a second but within that payrolls report uh, those are some signs that um Firms are having to pay up uh, for for wages in the US as well, so that's adding yeah. to some fears of inflation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Average and, and hourly earnings is up uh, month to month up 0.7 percent, wasn't it? And it? I mean, it was a big surprise in lots of ways, wasn't it? That I mean, first of all, that you know the numbers were bad. I mean, you know there was talk, there was hope uh, that it would uh, you know maybe a million extra jobs. Well, it fell well, well short of the mark. Yes, that's right. So payrolls rose by 266,000 uh, versus the expectations for close to one million, uh, and importantly that. That still leaves the U.S. with around 8.2 million people less on payrolls than it was before the pandemic. And uh, a lot of this is being done in the perspective of what it means for the Fed and for the asset uh, 
purchase program. And Chair Powell has said previously that it will take a string of 1 million plus payrolls prints uh, in order to get the Fed uh, towards substantial progress on their full employment goals. And uh, with payrolls disappointing so sharply, uh, markets are thinking that that tapering is going to be a little bit further out from here. And uh, vindicates some views out there that the Fed is going to take it fairly easily in terms of normalizing policy. Yeah, and obviously it throws out the window any argument that Joe Biden might be doing too much. You know, if uh, if, if there was any concerns, he might pull back on his stimulus measures or be forced to. Well, he's got a good argument now, hasn't he, that's going to be needed. It's, it's actually a really interesting debate. And if you read uh, the US newspapers, it's basically uh, two very strong opposing views there. So the first one is uh, the one that you mentioned in terms of uh, jobs still being 8.2 million lower than pre-pandemic. So that would at face value suggest you need to do more in the way of stimulus. But at the same time, uh, when you look at all the indicators of the US economy, job ads are at um, record highs. Uh, you've got uh, record high job job openings. Uh, and you've got anecdotes of a lot of labor demand out there. A lot of people talking about whether all the stimulus out there is actually acting as a disincentive for people to go and find work or, or search for work and accept work. Uh, and importantly, the uh, US Chamber of Commerce has called for an immediate end to uh, some of that, that stimulus, uh, and particularly the $300 a week federal jobless supplement to the weekly unemployment benefit claims. And several states, including Florida, Montana, and North Carolina, are actually tightening reporting requirements to receive that top-up unemployment benefit and uh, reinstating uh, uh, work search requirements. So uh, it's it's not exactly clear whether this actually adds further argument towards more stimulus or whether it actually adds arguments to the US needing to pair back on, on stimulus. Well, it'd be interesting to see, wouldn't it? I mean, does it does it force people back into jobs? Uh, I mean, are they uh, sitting on the sofa enjoying daytime TV or is it people who really are destitute and uh, if you take the money away from them, then you just cut down consumption? Uh, it's a risky manoeuvre, isn't it? But the interesting thing you mentioned was this this... this Average hourly earnings uh, increasing month on month. Uh, so what? I mean, they're expected to be flat. You'd be thinking, wouldn't you, if uh, if if the number of new jobs is is slowing, that you know, if anything, they'd be going the other way. Yeah. So, um, and what is also unusual about that is uh, there was some thought that with leisure and hospitality workers coming back online, uh, they tend to be uh, less paid. Uh, yeah. Or low paid, I should say, and uh, that should yeah, so weigh again, on average hourly earnings. Exactly, exactly, but yeah, instead, yeah. Uh, increases for leisure and hospitality workers are actually up one point six percent month on month. So that does suggest there is um, some need for employers to pay more in order to get workers uh, to sign up for employment. And that adds to that view that uh, the enhanced unemployment benefits may be acting as a disincentive for employment. And I've seen some stats that suggest that all up, all those unemployment benefits uh, uh, means a recipient uh, is earning more than uh, $15 an hour. And that doesn't seem like a lot, uh, but there is a lot of low wage uh, labor in in the US that was receiving uh, that or less than that. And um, no doubt some of those are obviously on on the sidelines um some of the anecdotes out of the business chamber suggest businesses on the whole aren't necessarily going for for higher wages at this stage and they're happy to wait it out until september when the uh, federal supplement unemployment benefits run out so what about how does this play in what we had from the rba in their statement of monetary policy on friday i mean they were saying 
you know, they're not going to raise rates until actual inflation is uh, in their target range, which again, reiterating, it's unlikely to be until 2024. Well, if you look at what's happening in the US, if the if the if the recovery is going slower than anticipated, well, maybe they're right on this. Well, at, at least as far as where the RBA is concerned, it's a very different story to the US in the sense that in Australia, the level of employment is actually above pre-pandemic levels, whereas obviously in the US, yes. it's, it's below. Uh, and so in Australia, there's a lot of views at the moment being debated. Um, if the unemployment rate keeps falling, uh, will will wages start to rise? And that's a key uncertainty uh, in terms of the outlook for the RBA at the moment. In terms of where the RBA sees the inflation profile, they're, they're now seeing core inflation approach the bottom end of their 2 to 3% target band by mid-2023. And we view that having important implications about whether the RBA will extend that three-year YCC target from the April 2024 bond to the November 2024 bond. And our view is if the RBA can forecast inflation uh, at the bottom of the band by the by mid-2023, then we see very high hard that they'll be able to extend uh, the the YCC target there. But they are still, still saying it's going to be some years, however many years, some years is, before wage growth is fast enough to lift inflation to, to target. They're still saying that. Uh, yes, yes, that's right. And I think that's the important takeaway there. The RBA is definitely wanting to see inflation at 2 to 3% on a sustainable basis. Uh, and they really want to see wages growth at 3% in order to get that. Uh, and until you see that, then the RBA is likely to be on the sidelines. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, you know, jobs are coming back quickly. And we had that, that bizarre thing at the end of last week where we found that the, the number of people uh, unemployed, there was no spike in the unemployed when JobKeeper came to an end. In fact, the numbers unexpectedly went the other way. What's that telling us? That's right. So the, um, the number of people on unemployment benefit claims in Australia, or job seeker as it is called, uh, fell by 105,000 in April, and that even and that occurred even as JobKeeper ended in March. And just to highlight the significance of a fall of 105,000, what that means for the unemployment rate, if all those people um, were classed as unemployed and went to employed, uh, that could see the unemployment rate fall by 0.7, uh, which would have the unemployment rate below 5% uh, in the next couple of months. So I think that is quite quite startling and quite a very different picture um, to what we saw just a couple of months ago. And importantly, if the unemployment rate was below 5%, then it would actually be below the level it was prior to the pandemic as well. Uh, in terms of implications, it's very unclear here because um, it's still not clear exactly how tight the labour market needs to get in order to get wages growth up. And they had the uh, the UK elections uh, last week. They We saw the results coming in over the weekend. The, the key one was uh, the Scottish National Party who won more seats than they did last time around. They just won short of a, a majority uh, and plenty of other MPs that they can call on for support for an independence vote for Scotland. Uh, so they're almost certainly going to push on that. I mean, maybe not for a, a year or two, wait for the pandemic to uh, have evened itself out but it, i mean given that it's not happening immediately uh, c- could we see some reaction to that on sterling a bit of pressure on that this morning or, or perhaps not because of the timeline yeah i don't think we'll see too much uh pressure on on cable as we open this morning as you noted the uh, scottish national party still remains one short of a majority within the scottish parliament uh, and then the second one is the conservatives actually did quite well in the local council elections and in a parliamentary by-election in uh, Northern England. Um, So uh, to me, I think uh, Boris Johnson would probably feel more empowered uh, after those 
those results and wouldn't really be swayed into allowing Scotland to have another independence referendum. He's Mr. Teflon, that's for sure. Uh, look, the, the NAB business survey is out today. Normally, of course, it's out uh, on a Tuesday, isn't it? But we've got the federal budget tomorrow, of course, which we're led to believe uh, will contain a, a much lower deficit than the, than the last MIFO. Uh, so what does that mean? Just uh, getting back to the RBA and their QE program, what does it mean if we have a, a, have a much lower uh, deficit. I'm getting going back to what Guy Debell, you know, the observation he made last week that the RBA was actually buying government bonds at a faster rate than they were being issued now. Yes, it does have potential implications for, for QE. Um, so I guess the, the big one is, is uh, if you're buying bonds at a faster weekly pace uh, than they're being issued by the government, then that is uh, probably seeing monetary policy even more stimulatory than you had had previously. And so you've got to talk about the appropriateness of that in terms of financial conditions. Uh, and then you may have some market functioning issues as well if you keep buying up too much of the government bond space. And that's one of the reasons why we think the RBA will taper QE purchases in a third round. Um, as for the headline federal uh, budget deficit, um, NAB is tipping that the headline deficit for 2020-21 will come in at around $150 billion, and uh, MyFO had it around $197.7 billion. And the uh, 2021-2022 deficit uh, for next year uh, is probably going to be around $80 billion, uh, and MyFO had it around $108.5 billion. So uh, whichever way you look at it, <clears throat> the underlying budget position is improving uh, quite, quite sharply, and that's mainly because of employment being back to pre-pandemic levels, and with the iron ore price at $200 a tonne, that's well above Helps. that forecast decline to 55 a tonne by September 2021. So great to talk to FS. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. All right, cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. And uh, that's Monday morning's edition of The Morning Call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby, back with Rodrigo tomorrow morning. See you then. Have a great day.